0: All right, this is from leftover from Wednesday. Were you guys in that Wednesday night class? A couple of you were, right? Brittany wasn't, Jerry wasn't, but I just left that up there. That's kind of what we're talking about again today. So you guys who were in there on Wednesday, give me some feedback and some insight on how it relates to 1st Peter, because I haven't listened to that audio yet. So uh, we're talking about regeneration and the new nature in Soteriology regeneration, new nature, it'll be good. Uh, let's open up a prayer. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yep. Oh, uh, You're just waving? Alright, let's pray. God, thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for uh, the new birth that you have taken and reshaped and remade us, so that we are in Christ. God, we pray for those who are not in Christ, that you would uh, draw them to yourself, that you would do a, a regenerative work in their heart, and that you would use our uh, obedience to uh, to bring them to that point as the means of uh, leading them to salvation. God, thank you for, uh, for our kids, for those who are taking the time to, to teach and to, to minister to them, and pray that that would be a, a fruitful... Uh, thing for them, they would come away knowing more about you and um, having a, a closer relationship with you. God, we thank you again for who you are. Pray that you'd lead our, our time of study. Amen. 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 All right. So, do some review. We were talking about the elect before, about those who are chosen of God. So, God elects some people to salvation according to his will and purposes alone. Not everybody is chosen, not everybody is elect in a saving sense of the word. We talk about an outward call and an inward call, a general call and an effectual call. The the outward call is the preaching of the gospel, and the inward call or the effectual call is that call which um, is results in saving faith, and so those who are called Um, inwardly are God's elect his chosen people and that doesn't include all people but only those who believe upon belief the Christian is adopted God is his or her father and the Christian also has assurance of salvation Uh, that is probably my favorite doctrine of God that we are adopted by him Uh, he is taken us and made us into his children. He has become our father. Uh, We talked about how that innately means that we are by nature, not God's, we are by nature children of wrath, which necessitates the adoption. Um, There wouldn't be any need to to be adopted if we were already God's children, if we were all children of God, as many people proclaim. But we're not, and he has made those who believe uh, his own, which is a pretty beautiful thing. MacArthur and Mayhew say that Scripture teaches that the saving benefits purchased by Christ's cross are applied to believers through the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit takes and uh, applies that work to us, which results in our adoption, Him making us His very own. Now, to get into regeneration, what happens at that, all these things kind of place simultaneously. There's a lot that goes on at the moment of salvation. And today we're going to look at regeneration and kind of break it down into different aspects of regeneration, some of those things that take place at that very moment of regeneration. Uh, regeneration is the word palingenesia, literally meaning to be born again. Does that take your mind anywhere in scripture that Phrase that word regeneration or born again. Yeah, John three. Is that what you said to you, Jerry? Yeah, first Peter one and two. Yeah, all over the place, right? And like I so said, that's what they were studying on Wednesday, First Peter. And then yeah, John three is like the quintessential go to yeah. born again passage, right? And we'll look at that here in just a moment. Uh, the two passages where this word is found in the New Testament are Matthew 19.28 and Titus 3.5. Uh, could I get somebody to turn to Matthew 19.28 and read that for us, please? Matthew 19.28. You guys must not have had your coffee yet either, huh?
1: Jesus <laughs> sure. says to them, truly I say to you, in the new world,
2: when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel.
0: Alright, um, let me get there, I was just listening, I wasn't there. Matthew 19, 28... So what is spoken of um, as being regenerated there in that verse? I think you were reading at a different translation than I was, but I wasn't looking at the same time. Um, here, I'll read it in the... But
1: in the regeneration,
0: Yeah. in the new world. So here's the NASB, Matthew 19:28 says, And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who, are, who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So in that passage, what is spoken of as being regenerated? The earth. Yeah, the earth. That's... Focusing on the the world, the creation, right? Not necessarily on the the individual. Um, so we, Matthew
2: go ahead. twenty-eight. You've got or twenty twenty-eight. According to NIV, it speaks of I tell you, Jesus' words. I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man said something glorious. Um, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, same thing, right?
0: Yeah, renewal, regeneration, new birth—all same concept that. Um, the old is going to die. The, there's going to be something new, right? Um, and we see this concept being applied to the earth, to creation, in Romans 8. Uh, Romans 8 says, in starting in verse 20, "For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God." For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers and pains suffers the pains of childbirth together until now and not only this but we ourselves also having the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our body so that kind of ties the two concepts together that we having been adopted we're still awaiting this regeneration this ultimate regeneration um, which is fulfilled in the the glorification when we are actually made new, when we don't have to deal and struggle with the the presence of sin, um, and creation is groaning and crying out for this regeneration, for this renewal, this new birth as well. Um, it's kind of interesting how we can see those two aspects tied together: creation groaning and we ourselves groaning within ourselves. And then. Um, before we get to Titus 3, let's go ahead and look at that passage in John. So back in John chapter 3, let's all turn there together. Who do we see in John chapter 3? Who's it dealing with? Nicodemus and Jesus. All right, let's look at John chapter 3 starting in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So we see right off the bat, he's a Pharisee, so he's high ranking, right? It says that he's a ruler of the Jews, so this man should know his stuff. He should be well put together, obviously very intellectual, able to to hang with Jesus um, and what he's about to present to him. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So here we see he recognizes that there's something different about Jesus. God is with him somehow. And rather than coming to him by day and calling him out like the other Pharisees and scribes and Jews do throughout the Gospels, he comes to him by night. So I think this should tell us that he's not trying to, to pull one over on Jesus. He's not trying to trick him. Um but he's actually trying to avoid being noticed by his friends and coming to Christ in what I perceive to be sincerity, saying, there's something different about you, Jesus. Jesus answered and said to him, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so... Uh, Going back up to verse 4, I think a lot of people understand that as him legitimately being confused and wondering, how do I be born again? I I don't literally crawl back into my mother's womb, do I? Um, I think he was probably hanging with Jesus a little bit more, and he understood that um, Jesus was not talking about being born (laughs) a second time from his mother's womb, but um, that he needed this regenerative work. Jesus talks about being born of water and of the spirit, which in his very Jewish, very educated, trained mind should take him back to Old Testament texts like uh, Ezekiel 36, I think, um, talking about how there will be a a regeneration, how God is going to remold and remake our hearts and take out a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, um, and how we have to have this regenerative work. Um, We talked before about how there's nothing that we do to be born right that's a completely passive act and the same is true spiritually speaking that we are born again not by our own will but by the will of god and it's something that he does we need to allow him to do there are people who try to teach there's a a book actually out there um, that says um, it's titled how to be born again and there's there's nothing that we can do to be born again, right? That's nobody. Nobody's written a book that says how to be born, because that's not something that we do. It's not something that is within our power. And the same logic goes with how to be born again. There's nothing that is dependent upon us. It's something that is done to us passively. All right, now let's turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, and will somebody reports those verses, 3 through 7?
2: This is the NIV. It says, He saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that... Having been justified by his grace, you might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life.
0: All right. Did you pick up in verse five? You did, right?
2: Yeah. I'm you, gonna. Maybe start right in the middle. I Four. It actually
0: starts with the word but. All right. I'm gonna read uh, verses three and five real quick to give us a contrast of <laughs> what happened before that. No, you're good. It says, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved <laughs> to various lusts and pleasure, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, then he saved us. Not according to... And goes into what writes the for us. <laughs> so there's that contrast of all of our guilt right? that big laundry list of sin that we see beforehand and then how Christ saved us afterward Um, this isn't too dissimilar from what we've been looking at in uh, 1 Corinthians back in chapter 6 am I thinking right? chapter 6 or am I thinking chapter 3 I don't know I should have prepared that beforehand, right? But it's gotta be chapter six. I'm just not seeing it right after the lawsuits. 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5, that's the man who's Second. caught in adultery. Oh yeah, 2 Corinthians 5, that has a lot of overlap too. Um, and we'll go there in a moment. But yeah, it's 1 Corinthians 6 verse, I'll start in verse nine says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. Was that a help? Well, that was a kid, right? Okay. One of the kids got the walkie-talkies. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. Good times. Um, so, yeah, there again we see the, um, the difference that you guys were all these wicked things. You guys were uh, adulterous, idolatrous, swindlers, homosexuals, effeminate. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Same kind of concept that we see back in Titus. So hopefully you're still in Titus 3. Um, how is the gospel explained in this passage in Titus 3 3 through 7?
1: put us into their will to inherit something is you know, that's
2: kind of hopeless
1: we you know, commonly you know, some people try to make that happen but we don't think do that we can't do ourselves somebody has to give it to
0: us. Yeah. Yeah so again we see that aspect of we are the passive recipient, right? God is one who's doing the work. And then uh, what else do we see in that passage that explains the gospel?
1: when Titus is talking about the Holy Spirit cleansing by the mercy of God uh, basically it's purification so God can
0: look upon us and deal with us in our human state yeah yeah so it first lays the groundwork you guys are just you're filthy, wretched, wicked, unrighteous right? that's who we are and then uh, we were washed, we were made new, we were regenerated so that God can actually deal with us uh, Revelation 21:27, talking about heaven says that nothing impure or unclean will be able to enter it but only that which is perfect, which is pure, those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, so we have to be changed in order to be seen as acceptable in the presence of God How many active verbs are ascribed to men after verse 3 so verse 3 talks about all the, the wicked stuff right so that's active for you also were all these things but after that how many active verbs do we see ascribed to men <laughs> yeah it says but the kindness of God our savior right it's his kindness and his love for mankind appeared and then it says that he saved so there's a, a active verb but it's not applied to us right he's the one who saved Not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness. So in case we didn't get that fact that these were all active verbs applied to Christ, right? It's very blatant there. Not based on your deeds, uh, but according to, again, His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal by, not us, but the Holy Spirit whom He poured out upon us richly through Christ our Savior so that being justified so there we're the ones being justified but again that's passive right we're not justifying ourselves Um, we are being justified by His grace that we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life It's good stuff what is the Holy Spirit doing in these verses to the believer we just went over that yeah yeah, so, once again, kind of like Jerry was saying, we have to be made new. We can't be before God as filthy, wretched sinners, right? He's, he's not going to be willing to accept that. And it has to be a, a legitimate, full, deep cleansing. Not just like when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he said, you guys are whitewashed tombs on the outside, you look great, right? You guys are uh, a cup that on the outside is clean, but inside is filthy and dirty. But the Holy Spirit, since he's the one who's doing this work in us, he's going to do a a thorough job. He's going to completely regenerate, completely renew us in a saving sense, not in a way that we would do just externally. Regeneration happens as a result of being unified with Christ, which happens according to God's mercy. Again, we see that. Verse 6, Whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So... We are united with him, and then regenerated. Is that the AC? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Better than being Brittany, I guess. (laughs) All right, notice this is past tense. If you've been saved, you have been renewed, which is a great thing to realize. that That's already taken place. He's renewed us. Um, He's regenerated us already. This takes place at that very moment of salvation. And then this will become more fully realized for us. It will become actualized for us when we are glorified with him. But positionally, before Christ, we've already been regenerated and renewed. And that's had uh, ongoing effects in our sanctification. We have to remember those distinct differences between justification, sanctification, and glorification. Um, And at that moment of justification, we are renewed and regenerated. This event is the same event spoken of in John 3 and 1 Peter 1, that we are born again, we are made new, um, washed clean. All three of these things are talking about the same thing. To be renewed is to be made better. This passage says that believers have been born again, cleansed, and become altogether new. Which, once again, kind of might mess with our mind. Because, practically speaking, we realize that that doesn't take place overnight, right? Uh, We should and we will see a change if we are truly in Christ. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that every good tree bears good fruit. And so we will start to see a, a change in the life of a believer we should see a change in our own lives if we we're in christ but we will still continue to sin we're not going to be perfect overnight um so trying to find that balance of before christ we are perfect and we are cleansed and we are righteous and there are real physical effects of that in our daily life however it's not fully completed yet thoughts on any of that questions on um, Titus 3 or John 1 or regeneration.
1: It's very hopeful when we realize our sinful ways that it's God is still working with us. He's still cleansing us and changing us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He hasn't given up on us, huh? Mm-hmm. Praise God. Alright. Uh Here's the passage you were referencing, uh, Ellie, in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Same concept, right? The the death of the old man, resurrection of the new. Uh, John Frame says, you didn't give birth to yourself. You didn't have anything to do with your own birth. Others gave birth to you. Your birth was a gift of grace. So your new birth was a gift of God. In this case, God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who gave birth to us. He's the one who renewed us, regenerated us, uh, gave us that new birth. The result of this regeneration and renewal is justification. So that's a a big question within uh, different flavors of Christianity. Does regeneration come before justification, or does justification um, by faith? Proceed, or precede rather, uh, regeneration. But I think, and I think we have to say pretty clearly that we have to be regenerated before we can be justified, before we can be declared righteous. We have to be made into a new person by God. Once again, we're the passive recipients, He's the one who is actively working upon us. Those who are justified are children of God, set apart from the world, awaiting a future glorification. Regeneration occurs at the moment in time, at a moment in time, and it is a permanent event. So it's not something you have to keep doing over and over again. You're regenerated once when you come to Christ. He makes you new and perfect, and not perfect, but he makes you new perfectly. Um, So... Once again, in his eyes, you are redeemed. You are um, completely new. And that will become more manifest as time goes on. You do not need to be regenerated again. You are born again once. Just as you were only born once, you are only born again once. Um, You don't have to keep seeking to be regenerated over and over again. And furthermore, regeneration is instantaneous at conversion. There is no time gap. It just happens at that one time. New Testament speaks of regeneration in six different ways. So on your handout, we have these six different ways outlined for you. So baptism, and we'll look at that in 1 Corinthians 12. The sealing of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about several of these before. I think we talked about all of them when we were going through pneumatology. So sealing of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We'll look at that in 1 Corinthians 3. The filling of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5. The fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5. And then the gifting that the Holy Spirit gives to us in 1 Corinthians 12. And also, I think, 1 Peter 4. All right, so those first... Uh, first verse 3 are God's work alone within us. And it's permanent. Something he does once again at that moment of salvation. At regeneration. And then filling and fruit and gifting. These are man's cooperation. These require man's cooperation. They vary. So we're not always going to be filled with the Holy Spirit to the same degree. Um, We're going to be walking in the flesh rather than walking in the spirit. We're not always going to be practicing our spiritual spiritual gift in the way that we should be. (coughs) So they vary from time to time. All right, so we have baptism, sealing, indwelling, filling, fruit, and gifting. And then we have this quote from the uh, London Baptist Confession. It says, they who are united to Christ effectually call again the the inward call, and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, are also farther sanctified, really and personally, through the same virtue, by his word and spirit dwelling in them. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several less thereof are more and more weakened and mortified and they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of all true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. That's quite a sentence, right? <laughs> um, I'm glad that we don't talk quite like that today. But there's a lot in there, and that's all good stuff. It's just deep. So once again, that's going through that process of... Justification, sanctification, glorification, that we have been regenerated at that same point in time, and it's going to have ongoing effects where we are more and more daily becoming like Christ. So, looking at this aspect of baptism, how we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. In all four Gospels, it's recorded that Jesus said that he would baptize his people with the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, the apostles were baptized with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 that's the the birth of the church when the Holy Spirit came and, and dwelt those believers um, and the only remaining reference after that is in 1 Corinthians 12 to baptism. so that's where we're going to look in 1 Corinthians 12 um, and we'll see how after Pentecost and the apostles were baptized by the Holy Spirit how um, future baptism of the Holy Spirit is to take place amongst other believers in Christ. So 1 Corinthians 12, let's start in verses 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 12 looking at the baptism of the Holy Spirit says for even as the one body even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body though they are many are one body so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. One body, one spirit, um, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, right? In Ephesians. But here we have one body, and one spirit. When does this baptism take place? According to 1 Corinthians 12. 12 and 13 when does it take place I where do you see that I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> you just know huh so yeah at at that regenerative Actually, moment right
1: well in the verse 11 that's he will. so the timing is his will
0: yeah but as we saw in 1 Corinthians 6, right? And as we saw in, um, oh, where was it? Titus 3, uh, there's a, a distinctive change, right? So those people who are living as adulterers and idolaters and uh, effeminate homosexuals, they aren't indwelt with the Holy Spirit, right? Because the Holy Spirit can't be in that kind of uh, abode, I guess. He is holy, He is set apart, He is God. And so we need to first be regenerated. We need to first experience this new birth before he can indwell us. I guess this is talking about baptism, but same concept that we aren't baptized when prior to, to coming to Christ. We come to Christ and we are regenerated and then baptized simultaneously. <coughs> upon belief a person is baptized with the holy spirit placing him or her into the church Christ's body made up of the redeemed so when we talk about baptism anytime you hear the word baptism we should uh, think of identification that we are identified with in christian baptism we're identified with christ right um we go under and come up and uh i think we'll look at that here in a moment in romans 6 how that's a picture of baptism uh Look at John the Baptist's baptism and how that was identifying with the need for repentance. And when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are being identified with the body of Christ. He is baptizing us into this one body, one family of Christ. We are being identified with the church, the universal, invisible church of Christ. Wayne Groom says, What shall we say about the phrase baptism in the Holy Spirit? It is a phrase that the New Testament authors use to speak of coming into the new covenant power of the Holy Spirit. It happened at Pentecost for the disciples, but it happened at conversion for the Corinthians and for us. So, just like the Corinthians, we are baptized at that moment of conversion. Um, and we shouldn't expect any of the things that we see in Acts chapter 2 to happen to us like they did to the apostles. Even though Wayne Greer might disagree with that Um He's a little bit more on that side of things. But uh, that's when we are baptized by the Holy Spirit, at that moment of conversion. Any thoughts or questions on any of that? Mm-hmm. Baptism in the Holy Spirit? You got something,
2: Jim? I, don't, I just always like to make it clear that it has nothing to do with water baptism. Yeah. There's so many people out there that teach <coughs> you
1: when you're dumb. Yep.
0: Yeah, I think that's where we're gonna go next. We look at how that's a picture of being saved, being baptized in the Spirit. Sure.
2: And
1: also the events at Pentecost were unique. They were yes. never ever, never, whenever ever else ever saw tongues of fire. No one ever else heard rushing wind. No one ever. In the New Testament, ever that we've seen? Is
0: it so
1: silly that we use those
0: symbols and that? Yeah, it was that one time for a very specific purpose, right? Yep, very specific purpose. Yeah. Yeah, God doing new things in His people at a very specific point in time for a specific purpose. Um, Over in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, it says, but one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consultation, or consolation, not consultation, consolation. Um, So that prophecy has a very specific purpose in that verse. And then further on down in that chapter, verse 22 says, so then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. For prophecy is for a sign, not for unbelievers, but to those who believe. So very clearly it's talking about how the tongues are for the unbelievers so that they would see and they would believe. They would recognize that God is doing new things at this new point in time and there to listen up and pay attention. So it's not something that we should seek to replicate. Um, we teach here that those have ceased. Again, when Gerudim would differ, and that's okay, but that's not where we're at. All right, baptism in, in the Spirit gives a believer a new nature that is identified with Christ and symbolized in physical baptism. So just as you were saying, Jim, uh, that baptism is just a, a picture of what really happens in the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's turn now and look at that in Romans 6. Romans 6. Will somebody grab verses 4 through 7 for us, please?
1: Therefore we have been married with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. All right. For He who has died is free from sin.
0: Amen. Alright, so the physical baptism symbolizes the preceding spiritual baptism. So first we are spiritually baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is, as we just read, that um, we have died with Christ, we are raised with Christ, and the physical water baptism is just a picture of what has already taken place. That's why whenever we baptize somebody in water, we're careful to get their testimony first and make sure that they have a, a fully formed grasp and understanding of their salvation in Christ apart from their self um, they're not putting any hope in them going under water and being baptized in that moment that's just a picture of how they've already died and been resurrected with Christ they're being identified with him again baptism identification is important um, before the world letting them know I am Christ and I'm going to wear his name um, I am his the old self was crucified and the body of sin was done away with <coughs> And then through this conversion process, the believer is freed from sin. Again, not from the power of sin, but from the penalty of sin. Write this out for you guys. We did this in our uh, youth group the other day. So, again, we have to realize the difference between being justified and sanctified, and then what's going to happen in the end to be glorified, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Romans 8 says that we have already been glorified. And so uh, but that has not been realized just yet. And in all this, we are saved from, in being justified, we're saved from the the penalty <laughs> of sin. Because Christ has taken our penalty upon himself, being Sanctified, we are saved from the power of sin. Um, look at, I think it's First John 2, 1, right? It says, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. So we don't have to sin because we have an advocate with the Father. And then when we are glorified, we are saved from the presence of sin where we will no longer be in... I think I did this. How do I spell presence, Britt? C. Yes. Okay. Presence. All right. Um, Of sin. So we won't have to to deal with that constant battle and constant struggle, like um, like Paul does in Romans seven, right? Where he does the things that he doesn't want to do, and those things that he didn't want to do, he still does. Um, And then penalty of sin. That's all over, right? We just looked at that in Titus 3, that he's the one who saved us, not on the basis of our deeds or our righteousness, but by the watching and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Um, so, yeah, through this conversion process, believers are freed from the penalty of sin. We still deal and struggle with the power of sin, and one day we'll be delivered from the presence of sin altogether. Alright, Colossians 3. Let's turn there. Anybody know offhand why we're turning to Colossians 3? What's that? (laughs) (laughs) Because I told (laughs) you to. (laughs) Alright, yeah. Colossians 3 is talk about setting your mind on things above, (coughs) talking about this difference this distinction between the old and the new right so colossians chapter 3 we're going to be looking at the first 11 verses all right i'll go ahead and read that therefore if or since you have been raised up with christ keep seeking the things above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your mind on the things above not on the things that are on this earth does that sound familiar? Again, this is same kind of concept we've been looking at in Titus 3, in 1 Corinthians 6, um, all over the place. In Romans 6, that's being pictured by baptism, that the old is gone. You're going to set your mind on new things, um, not on the things that are on earth. Verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which, are, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked. Again, just like 1 Corinthians 6. Once were, were some of you, right? Um, but now. And then it says, you guys also once walked when you were living in them. Verse 8, But now you also put them aside with anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of God who created him a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man. But Christ is in, is all and in all. Uh, Let's go back and look at verses nine, 10 and 11. Look at the the tenses of those, uh, those verses says, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. That's, Past tense, right? You guys have already laid aside this this old man, these old practices. Then verse 10, and have put on the new self. <coughs> That's something again, past tense. You already laid aside, already put on the new self, who is being renewed. That's in a, a perfect tense, right? It's taking place now, um, present tense even. Um, that happened in the past with with ongoing results, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction. Um, So we've already set aside the old self, put on the new self by the power and grace of God, and we are continually being renewed. That's again speaking to the sanctification, this ongoing process of becoming more and more Christ-like. When a person is baptized with the Spirit, one person dies and another person is created. Our old self is dead, and we have been reborn, just like Jesus told Nicodemus, one must do to be saved. We've been recreated, regenerated, uh, washed by the renewing of the Holy Spirit, right? There is an old self and a new self. We see the same concept in Ephesians 4, to lay aside the old self, put on the new self, it's uh, a parallel passage with what we see here in Colossians 3. Therefore, the evidence of this baptism is a life that is given to God in obedience to the authority of his word, as opposed to a one-time event. Notice that word there, the evidence of this baptism. So we are baptized in Christ one time, right? We only go through that spiritual baptism once at that moment of salvation. But um, what do we do that's going to result in uh, an evidenced life of obedience to, to Christ? If we are identified with him through baptism, then our lifestyle will reflect that. Will people always feel the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Jim's shaking his head now. Some people, right? From from what I hear. But when I was born again, I didn't have any radical feeling within myself, right? Um, a lot of people will experience a, a radical, um, kind of accelerated sanctification, where the day before they were just drunken alcoholics and they had all these passions and desires to live in and be of the world and the next day they they don't have any of those desires um, I was saved when I was four or five so I wasn't a rabid alcoholic just yet so I didn't have that experience but some people do um, but not all people do and just because we don't have that feeling or that radical change within our, ourselves doesn't mean that we shouldn't realize that we have been baptized with the Holy Spirit if um, our experience comports with Scripture. Jerry, you have something?
1: Well, we're talking about being born again and as, a, as a new creation of God. And when God created the universe, he created it with the appearance of age. He didn't be had him as a newborn infant. He Man. He created stars thousands of light years away and yet we can already they could already see the light from those stars with the appearance of age. And I would say that he does the same with us. We all are different. He, each one is a different creation and some of them he creates with the appearance of age that he doesn't. Yeah. In all of our experiences, in of our, certainly in our feelings, and some of us don't have feelings. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Guilty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we need to realize that in our our sanctification process, right? So, it's not always going to be identical. So, there are some people who are sanctified at a, a very drastic level, right? And then there are people like me who aren't. We're like, <laughs> down here, oh, that color doesn't work. Um, but kind of slowly working our way up, right? But no matter what, we're, we're all progressing in Christ and kind of going up and down. But um, if you're looking at a, a stock market line, right? That's, that's what you want to see. You want to see it going up, maybe not immediately, but at least Trending in the right direction. So if we're in Christ, we're all going to be trending in that direction. Yes,
2: dude. I misunderstood the question. I thought thought you was asking, well, we always feel it continually. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, gotcha. (laughs) Yeah, and
2: And I've talked to a lot of people who don't. I mean, I've had people say, I think I've lost my salvation. Yeah. And and, and, uh, they just get depressed. Life's not going well, you know. And they don't feel it anymore.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, I think most people feel something when they're saved. Now most of us don't start speaking in tongues and, and yeah. prophesying, but <laughs> I think most people do feel something when they're saved. Uh, although, even I've even had people talk, say, you know, well, I'm not sure I was saved because I didn't really feel that much, or you know, I didn't really feel.
0: Yeah, and we're, we're never promised in Scripture that so we're going to have some kind of feeling or yes. radical experience, right? Or of, of all
2: things.
0: Amen, yeah. And that deceived heart still indwells us alongside the Holy Spirit, once again, Romans 7, right? So even though we, when we are regenerated and, and born again, um, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit within us, that doesn't mean that we're going to have some kind of radical, mystical, religious experience Um and, and we may, but we're not promised that. And that's the same reason why these other people um, will kind of doubt their salvation down the road because they're not putting their hope and their trust in Scripture. And I've been there. Um, where, you know, you're you're putting your faith in your deceitful heart, right? In your feelings, rather than in Scripture that says, well, if you believe, then, then you're saved. If you... Um, put your faith in Christ and he's the one who washes and regenerates you he's the one who does all these things and he's the one who who upholds you by the might of his power right so it's not dependent upon you and then we start looking away from scripture and start looking at other things and that confuses us yeah,
2: that's why in chapter 3 of Colossians he says huh. over and over seek those things that are above yeah uh, put to death your members over and over, he uh, commands us: put off all these things. Do not lie. Put on the new. We have to do that. We have to constantly make those choices and do those things. That's what he's telling us there. Yeah. Do them. I wish it came automatically.
0: <laughs> right? That would be nice. Yeah. Sanctification is a uh, a cooperative work. God is one who gives us the power to do these things we do everything by his strength and his power nothing that is natural to to ourselves but we're still commanded to to live a life that uh reflects him right live a life that um is equivalent with the calling that we received that's something that is upon us we have that responsibility other thoughts All right, we should probably stop there and pick up on sealing and the rest next week. Um, But yeah, even going down to and looking at that that feeling being filled with the Holy Spirit that's the same kind of concept where we're not always going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. When we begin to to walk in the flesh rather than walk by the Spirit, Um, looking to something other than Scripture as our guide, that's where we're going to. be fouled up in all kinds of ways and especially in our our understanding of our security in christ so if we're not living like christians and we have no right to think that we are christians that that is good to to test our salvation uh 2 corinthians 13 5, to question whether or not we are in the faith that's a good thing to do um we need to look to scripture for the answer other thoughts or questions on regeneration or baptism in the spirit? you have to always remember that those need to be evidence. If you're alive, there's evidence of some things.
1: We have to be evil, but we shouldn't evidence.
0: Yeah. That's a, a doctrine that's not hot. Huh? A lot these days, doctrine of the, the new birth, of regeneration, that there is going to be a change and a difference in your life, because, again, like you said, that requires something on on our part, not from us, but it will be evidenced in our life by Christ's power and His work in our life, and um, that's that's viewed by the world as not nice, right, to question somebody's salvation, to say, well, I'm not seeing that in your life. Um, and the world would say, well, well, who are you to, to look in my life, right? And next week, we'll ask, um, to what degree should we be testing the, the fruit of salvation? And that's kind of a, a difficult question to answer. We'll, we'll save it for next week. But be thinking about that throughout this week. Should we be fruit inspectors um, of, of our lives, of other people's lives? And how does that practically work out? Um, If we identify somebody as a a believer or an unbeliever, how is our approach affected by that person's spiritual state, whether or not they're in Christ or or not in Christ, especially as we seek to to minister to them and love them? um, It's a a difficult one. Should we be proof of That's obviously something that needs to be
2: done delicately. but I
0: find that generally when someone is offended that you're judging them, they're not walking in the Word. And yeah. as, a body, as the body of Christ, we should be holding each other accountable. Yeah. And biblically speaking. Better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy, right? And, and our world is so in that mindset of, well, I just want to, to kiss everybody, right? To, to stroke their ego and not to, to make them feel bad. But those are kisses from an enemy. I would rather have wounds from a friend. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you again for your regenerative regenerative work in our lives. that You have uh, taken and made us into new creatures. You have given us uh, a new life. We have been reborn in you. God, I pray that our lifestyles would reflect that accordingly, that we would be... Uh, sanctified more and more to you each and every day that we would uh, wear that name of Christ Christian well that we wouldn't uh, blaspheme the Holy Spirit that we wouldn't uh, take your name in vain but that we would be Christians who uh, can can represent you well that we would be your ambassadors that we would be uh, doing your ministry your, your work of reconciliation that you've given to us God help us to uh, to Please you and everything we think, do, and say. I pray that you would be pleased with our, our thoughts and our worship this morning. That you would be elevated, exalted, and uh, made famous in this place and beyond. I praise your name. Amen.